And welcome back to another episode of 42 to Doomsday. I'm Mark. And I'm Rob. And we're coming to you almost live from our bunker deep within George Washington's left nostril high atop Mount Rushmore. 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that's often imitated but never bettered, is coordinating with our lawyers in our fight against Radio Free Skyro's claim to be the most downloaded podcast in Kazakhstan. But never fear, even now, as our top spokesman is teeing up a press conference at Sexpo 2020, we will continue fighting the good fight to make Australian podcasting great again. Rudy? Rudy, your fly's undone again. No, not Mike's fly, your fly. Gangsters, we are back for another episode, as we promised a follow-on from our extremely popular and downloaded What If podcast we did. We had a few Colin Baker scenarios, so or Six Doctor era scenarios, uh, so we threw a bunch of them together and put them on this podcast. Isn't that right, Rob? That's definitely correct. As the lights go out in the Northern Hemisphere, particularly Great Britain, or not so Great Britain as the case may be, uh, Mark, what have you uh, been doing to celebrate coming out of lockdown in Victoria? Going out to some parks and, and reserves and doing a bit of bike riding and luckily the weather's turned for the better out here now so I've had this week off so I've actually been doing some stuff around the house but I uh, went to Bunnings which again is uh, you know cues like communist Russia. Actually I did get an Aldi as well <laughs> yesterday morning Rob this might uh, interest you they had a air fryer on sale which is uh, down to, to $60 so I thought oh, I might get one of them and uh, I was up early anyway went out and queued in front of Aldi and seriously Rob there was a queue right around the block people know their bargains Mark they know their air fryer bargains there was two left on the uh, pallet and I made sure I grabbed one of those <laughs> So I apologize to that uh, fragile old lady. That reminds me of the day that I pushed aside two youngsters uh, who was sitting in, in front of a copy of Cold Fusion on a shelf at a second-hand bookshop in country Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make money on eBay and no one's going to get in my way, I can tell you right now. People just crowding around shelves. You haven't got time for pointless meandering. You get in there, you get out. That's right. What about yourself? Much the same, though. But working from home, um, it hasn't changed Uh I've been we have been able to you know get out a little bit more. Um, went into country Victoria today for a, a little family trip, but uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, you can see that things are now opening up um, around you know Melbourne um, and into country Victoria. So uh, a lot of suffering, a lot of people who are um, who, who who are doing it are doing it very hard. Uh, even now that lockdown's been lifted, um, there's a, there's a glimmer of hope uh, you know coming up to Christmas. So. Hopefully, and uh, hopefully things will continue to improve. And of course, our our thoughts and our hearts go out to everyone uh, in, say, well, definitely in America, North, uh, the United States of America, with what's happening there with the numbers. Jesus. And Great Britain, oh I think, this God. weekend. Is yeah. that right, Mark? Is, or are they actually entering lockdown as we speak? Or They're all locking down where Dominic Cummings is being locked up, I think. He's being uh, escorted from the building. Aside from the world grinding to a halt north of the equator... Uh, there's been a little bit of Doctor Who news, Mark, and uh, of course, uh, I think the big, uh, the biggest piece of news that came out this week was uh, that uh, the new series, the next series of uh, Doctor Who, will be reduced due to, uh, according to the quotes, uh, COVID uh, restrictions or COVID uh, well, working with COVID from uh, was it 12 episodes down to eight? Is that correct? I believe yes. so. You know me, Rob. I don't really sort of keep up with the new series news but it's to be expected uh less is more hopefully <laughs> maybe with a le- less episode count he might be able to uh, turn things around but tv production and film production around the world has jutted to a halt so it's not sharder like is it where things have been cancelled outright they'll just uh, get a less episode count but i don't it's not the end of the world literally oh, no. we've had that no, this no. year. my first thought uh, was to immediately fly back 30 odd years to dwb's infamous front cover when ian levine mm. um told the world that uh the uh, Doctor Who had been reduced to fourteen episodes. It was for for fourteen uh, was going to be the number, the episode count for nineteen eighty five. I think initially Ian Levine got up on stage at some convention and said that it was being reduced down to twenty, mm. and then. JNT after Ian sort of uh, blurted out that information, which is not really like him, let's be honest. Of course, it came out there was 14 yes. episodes. So yes, it was 14-14. There's a little bit of symmetry there, I suppose, uh, this year or the, this coming you know production schedule. They, they, they run the risk. They're, they're, in every year, every season of Doctor Who, there are good episodes and there are not so good episodes. With a lesser episode count, they're running the risk of the less good episodes are becoming more prominent in the viewers' minds because there's just, you know, less less episodes. Well, 
you've, you've, the, the the pool has been you know less diluted in in a sense. So uh, they they have to be careful that the the, the quality of the episodes uh, is uniformly good. Otherwise, people will start pointing out the the more obvious uh, clankers. In season twenty four's case, the first three stories <laughs> weren't particularly good. So. Uh, you know, you're always going to have a clangor and they will stick out more visibly in a, in a shorter run. Mm. But uh, was there much of an outcry this time or was it more like, yeah, whatever? Some people were making the, the point that perhaps this is achieving what Chibnall really wanted uh, all along anyway, which is to reduce the episode count, the, the, reduce the workload uh, on everyone in the production team from you know 12 or 13 episodes a year down to 8 or 9 or, or whatever it's going to be. Uh, that's probably... Um, well, it might be, it might be a, a blessing for the team, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, I think I think overall there was a sort of a collective shrug. Okay, yeah, COVID's just screwed everything over in twenty twenty, and it's no surprise it's going to affect Doctor Who. It's not like the old days, is it? Really, where you had you know Doctor Who running and Sarah Jane Adventures running and Tortured running running all concurrently, is it really? No, we were spoiled for choice back then, weren't we? Doctor Who isn't that uh, commodity anymore. It's not that popular no. thing. It, it, it's just a, a staple. Well, I mean, if it was on more regularly, I, su- I suppose it would be a staple of the schedules. But um, it's just one of those things that just sort of comes out when it does come out, and you know, people catch it or people don't. Losing that continuity and consistency, where you ha- you know you sort of know you're getting episodes every year of a similar length and a similar time slot yeah. at a similar time during the year, it's been really fragmented over the last couple of years, for example. So, but then again, as everything moves to streaming, is that is that a real problem anyway? I- I'm not really too sure. A lot of things are moving to streaming, but I mean, at the moment, Doctor Who is a terrestrial uh, program. You know, goes out on on BBC One. So you would assume, you know, you would hope that the BBC would assume or want uh, something on a more regular basis. I mean, they can, you know, they they can churn out uh, countless episodes of the soaps. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure why Doctor Who is. I mean, even if it was reduced to eight, is is that something that they could achieve on a yearly basis? But, you know, it it just seems like it's been difficult for the last five or six years. Now, Mark. Yes. You uh, said before we started recording that you had picked up a copy of the animated Fury from the Deep. Is this correct? Is indeed correct. I uh, got the steelbook imported from the the COVID-ridden UK and uh, over the last... Maybe last week I sat down and watched two episodes a day mm-hmm. and uh, speeded right through it. And it was actually really good. Watching it in one big stretch would be a bit of a challenge uh, in, in, for me. But uh, I actually just enjoyed two episodes a day. Really good script. You can't make it an exact representation of telly snaps, which actually I agree with. They put the telly snaps on there if you really want to sit down and watch the telly snaps. But a, a reimagining of the story, in my opinion, the Fury and Faceless Ones have been an upswing in terms of quality from an animation perspective. So, yeah, I'm actually, look, they're not going to replace the real thing. And we all know that. And until uh, somebody in Wigan maybe potentially releases something, this is what we're going to have to put up with until that happens. But uh, for the main, most part, it's actually, yeah, I was okay with it. The, guess what? I did. I watched it in colour. Burn the heretic. Burn him. And surround sound, which actually was pretty good too. <laughs> it's amazing what they've done with that old uh, television recorded soundtrack and five won the bugger out of it. It was great. Good job all around. Oh, that's lovely. I, I still don't feel mm. the need to go out and buy it, but uh, at full price anyway, so... Um, did you buy more than one copy of the Steelbox, uh, Mark? Because I understand that they're like gold. I did, and it was by accident <laughs> because I, I did... Actually, I sold one to a friend of mine at, uh, at at the price I bought it for, though. But I haven't sort of got a stash out the back ready to uh, on sell on eBay later Sure, on. Mark, sure. No. Pick it up when it comes out, or wait till the next 20% uh, sale at uh, JB Hi-Fi and get a cheap copy. Yes, the sales will be on uh, Boxing Day not too long, so you can, uh, if you can afford to wait, wait. This year's just gone so quick, isn't it, really? Oh, well, when, you, when you're doing the same thing uh, day in, day out from the same you know, <laughs> spare bedroom, looking at the same goddamn blank wall. We should be podcasting every day, shouldn't we? <laughs> We've had no excuse, Mark, not to be podcasting 365 every day, every all year. Time, energy, effort. Can you imagine? Jeez. <laughs> oh. And on that bombshell, let's move to our main topic. And as Mark said at the start of the episode, we're uh, piggybacking off our stellar What If episode where we ask people to 
uh, send in suggestions about what could have been uh, with particular Doctor Who uh, topics or uh, issues or storylines. And uh, what we're going to be doing uh, now is talking about uh, mainly about the Trial of a Time Lord, the Sixth Doctor era. Uh, there should have been another way, as someone once said on the show. Uh, and we've also uh, asked for people's memories uh, via uh, social media. So we'll be looking at all that sort of thing. So, Mark, who's first off the rank? We have a Scott Michael. Hi, Scott. He says, uh, Davison's staying for another season. Would the cancellation still have occurred. What do you think, Mark? Well, actually, I asked this to the uh, the great man himself uh, a few years ago. I was lucky to go, I'm not a big fan of going to those sort of fan dinner things, but it was my favourite doctor. And I thought, look, I will stump up the cash and, and do this. And lucky he sort of came over and we had a, we had a chat and uh, I asked him the question. I said, look, out of interest, you know, do you think the show would have been cancelled if, uh, if you'd stayed? And he said, actually, yes. Um, it wouldn't have mattered who was in the role. It was in, in Michael Grade's sights. I think the cancellation would have occurred and it was lucky for Davison and his career that he got out when he did. But uh, I think as soon as Michael Grade saw the uh, the murker waddling its green ass all over BBC One, <laughs> it was gone. Yeah, it's hard to dispute uh, uh, with Davison's uh, thoughts there. The, the show's cards were marked, uh, as, as, as he said, and as you said, once Michael Grade uh, planted his backside in the, in the top job seat. I don't think there was anything that could have been done really... Uh, I mean, given the show's age, I mean, it's just simply, I think the show's age and the fact that the, the new people in charge wanted to put, you know, put their own stamp on the show, which was fair enough. I mean, we, just because a show's on television for 20 years doesn't give it a God-given right to be there for another 20 or even another five. Uh, so it, looking back, it's no surprise that, you know, the new broom wanted to, you know, push out the old stuff and bring in some, some new quality uh, uh, television uh, using, you know, some of that budget. So... Um, I, I just, you you are right that Davo got out and it did save or spare his career in a sense. He, he wasn't tagged with that. Well, you're the you're the lead actor in a show that's been cancelled and cancelled quite spectacularly. Do you think that it did? Um, you know, Colin Baker being the, the 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 lead actor, the face of the show. Do you think that damaged his t- television career? I mean, he had he had a bit of a TV career in the seventies, and you know, he was his leading man once in The Brothers, I believe, and. Uh, and then, obviously, Doctor Who was a leading man role. Do, do you think that um, it damaged him going forward, or was he always really a sort of a stage actor? I think he was always a stage actor, but a lot like John Nathan Turner, they had that stigma over their careers, really, with, with being tagged with Doctor Who's cancellation. So I think, yes, probably. When Colin left the show, he did a young Indiana Jones, some um, satellite TV work, a couple of other shows during the 90s and the early 2000s. Mm. But I don't think in terms of television career, didn't sort of go on from success to success like David Tennant or Matt Smith, somebody like that. Mm. It would have that... Um, cloud over your career wouldn't it really so in terms of whether it damaged his actual tv career oh, look I, I don't think so uh as we've discussed he he, he was uh, i mean he's, he's had uh, you know over the years over the last few decades a lot of work on stage uh so i think his his uh his talents are probably more directed uh or more suited to the stage than, than, than television i i think look he had uh, the the capability of you know doing more television work. I mean, as as you were saying, he he did appear in you know you know odds and ends sort of thing here. I think there was that time, gentlemen, please. Um, he he was he featured in an episode of that, which was quite embarrassing actually. The sort of the role that he was asked to play, I I felt quite sorry for him in in, in a sense. But um, overall, I don't think. I mean, if you look if you look at Colin now or Colin Baker now, I don't think he's overly embittered about what happened. I mean, you know, it's 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 they've. It's been 35 years, so I, I don't think too many people would hold a grudge even over that length of time. I remember seeing an episode of Hustle, and uh, Colin Baker was in the first five minutes, and he sort of <laughs> died. <laughs> he had a heart attack or something, but he got to work with uh, Robert Vaughan. There's a silver lining in everything, Mark, isn't there? Old mate Gary Acker says, what if J&T and Sayward had actually made productive use of the hiatus and rethought the show coming back with four standalone wide audience appeal stories instead of the Trial of a Time Lord umbrella theme. I think I said a few years ago that even better than four standalone stories, for an episode run, you could have, you know, say three or four two-parters and a couple three-parters just to try and bring a bit of variety back uh, as opposed to saddling it with a trial sequence which um, falls short at the end. I keep asking this. I had all that time to do something and I just came back with that and really, what did they change? You just changed the bloody costume would have been something. Mm. Apart from the theme song. That's all he did, really. Yeah. Saywood certainly has complained that they misused the time that they had or didn't use the time as effectively as they could have. I mean, it's, it's, it's reasonable or possible to argue that you could still have gone with the trial concept, but just done it better. 
and uh, as Gary says, I mean, if you're going to be doing a sort of a wide audience appeal, if, I mean, something like Terror of the Vervoids, which is, you know, as, as everyone said for the last 35 years, is, is Agatha Christie in space. The British public love anything to do with Agatha Christie, even now, you know, 70 years after most of her, her stuff was written. You could have done something similar uh, to Terror of the Vervoid, sorry, three, two, one, something similar to Terror of the Vervoids across that series. I mean, you had the problem with uh, the mysterious planet where, you know, Robert Holmes was effectively neutered by upstairs. Um, mm. And then, of course, Robert Holmes dying uh, close to the end of, of, of the writing of the, of the season th- really threw things up in the air. I think you could have made the trial season work uh, with that particular concept, but you would have needed to have had a really good long think about it. And, and uh, you know, as Gary intimates, um, just bring, you know, uh, uh, stories to the screen that have as wide an appeal. And I actually quite like your idea of, you know, two-parters. Uh, or maybe even the odd three-parter just to give a bit, a bit of variety across the 14 episodes. I think that would work really well. But again, you you sort of can't leave it to the last minute. Uh, and even, I suppose, even if you'd gone down that path, Sobel was constantly complaining that you couldn't find the right writers uh, to, to, to fulfil the remit of the show. So certainly making more productive use of the hiatus would have been better, but I, I still think you could have done something with the trial concept uh, if you were going to be, you know, deciding to go with that. It's a wasted opportunity. But then again, you know, some people really like it. I think it's sort of had a bit of a rehabilitation, especially with that DVD box set coming out and its initial reception. Look, it's certainly reasonable to argue that, all right, you, you've had all this time uh, off uh, and all you've come up with is a sort of a meta concept about the, you know, the, uh, the trial of a time lord. You know, the, the, the show is effectively on trial in the real world and in the fictional universe. I mean, yeah, you could definitely say that that's, that's lazy storytelling or lazy you know conceptualising of ideas. If the show is going to be cancelled and then brought back, right, um, at that point, if you've got, you know, 18 months off, it is a vote of no confidence in J&T and the script editor. So get rid of them. Get the new people in. They, they should have got new people in at that point. Because if you if the BBC is saying, we're going to cancel the show, and, oh, okay, we've turned it, we're, we're changing our mind, we're going to bring it back because the fans are in uproar, well, that's no vote of confidence in J&T or Eric Sayward, is it? That's right. Get rid of them and get seasoned professionals in and give them the remit to you know effectively reboot and rejig and restart the show. Instead... All the elements of the show just came back. Same doctor, mm. same producer, same uh, script editor, you know, same directors, same production values. Uh, I mean, it's painfully obvious that Doctor Who doesn't have the, the, the budget to realise its, its, its imagination. You know, I mean, yes, the opening sequence is fantastic and it still stands up, you know, almost four decades later. All the money's got the effect, isn't it? <laughs> it's a cardboard <laughs> castle, basically, isn't it? The whole thing. Yeah. I mean... I enjoy elements of, you know, Trial of a Time Lord. I think Vervoids really is the best story in that season. And even the last two episodes are quite, you know, striking in their visual elements. But it's 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 not the way to bring the show back with a bang and, and try and convince the audience that this show that, you know, the BBC said it didn't have any confidence in is worthy of their, you know, ongoing attention over, you know, two months or three months. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, and the organisation you know, wasn't behind it. No Radio Times, no publicity. There was just nothing behind it. Uh, Jonathan Powell says there was just no organisational willpower for a mass reboot of, of Doctor Who. But then, Mark, I don't understand. I mean, the BBC cancelled it and then backtracked and then said, "Yeah, I right, come back," and you know, you've, you've got your chance to prove yourself. The ratings were half, almost half of what they were in in, in season twenty two. Why was it allowed to continue on for another three years? Why didn't Powell and or Grade say, we've given you your shot, we've poured, you know, a couple of million pounds into this, you're now into your 23rd year on television, why are we, why are we allowing you to, 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 to stay on television? I, I don't understand, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at a few things and, and, and reacquaint myself with the history. But it makes no sense. Apart from overseas sales, I mean, maybe that did have some influence. I mean, the enterprises weren't happy that the show was cancelled. And maybe they thought, well, look, we can at least get it to its 25th anniversary, limp it on, um, and show a bit of goodwill towards it then. But as soon as season 26 came along, Peter Grigene came in and said, no, I think it's time to sort of stop it now. So it's what if, isn't it, really? <laughs> it is, it is. So the next one is uh, from longtime listener Bruce Greenwood. Hello, Bruce. Uh, his question or, or point is, uh, what if Colin had negotiated an exit from Doctor Who earlier and the future segment of Trial included the next Doctor instead of the next companion? Now, Bruce, that's the sort of storytelling that you would have hoped that they would have uh, embraced instead of the sort of, you know, just carry on as per normal. I mean, if they'd done something like that and, and managed to keep it a secret, 
uh, that JNT couldn't keep anything a secret, to be honest. Apart from the Cybermen and Earthshock, he did a good job. Oh, of, that. of course, yes. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. yeah, but everything else was like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I agree. If he'd done that, Colin had been willing to negotiate a, a, a quiet exit from the show, and we, we get you know the revelation of a new Doctor at, in the last story of that season. Then that would have been you know something that would have made you know the the media, the tabloids sit up and take notice, and certainly the audience. It's one of those you know, there's one of those things that you know you could survey people 10, 20, 30 years later and say, you know, what was one of the main highlights of British television in the 80s? Oh, the regenerating the Doctor in the middle or towards the end of the season. That would work a treat. But again, it has to go hand in hand with a complete change of production team at the start of the season, willing to make that sort of bold choice. Uh, so I think it would have worked. I think it, it, it would have been something, a jolt that the show needed uh, out of its complacency because it was it was completely complacent under JNT by this point. Who would you have picked, given the actors around at that time? Oh, mate, uh, look... Uh, Michael Gray wanted to get Jeremy Brett in there, but, I mean, he'll be doing his Sherlock Holmes in space, really. Yeah, look, you, you look at someone like Jeremy Brett and you go, is he too good for Doctor Who at this point in its run? It's look. I, look, I'm not really familiar with a lot of British leading actors of that era. I mean, I would never have known who Colin Baker was, you know, to be the leading man, or Peter Davison, or anything like that. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have picked Sylvester McCoy based on his CV. No. Um, you know what? You'd be looking for an older actor like Pertwee or Baker, even if you had a, a Jeremy Brett level actor in the role. You need to do a re- complete rejig of the show. You need to have a production team that's willing to, you know strike out boldly and you need the bbc that the, the, the head honchos willing to invest in it you know willing to pour some money in it so that it looks its realization matches its conception i think there's two people i would potentially consider tim curry yes bob peck <laughs> well i was i actually thought of bob peck you know edge, yeah. of, edge of darkness is a magnificent he's also very good in the first jurassic park film too actually Oh, he's, he's that hunter fellow, isn't yes, he? Yes, he's very good in that. Yeah, I watched yeah. that recently. Yeah. But again, you know, you go from Edge of Darkness to... Edge of Despair. <laughs> Mid-80s Doctor Who. And, uh, Edge of Cardboard. Look, you know, it's an iconic series, I suppose, and it's leading man money and all that. Well, it's Doctor Who leading man money, I suppose. So. Yeah. It's hard to say. All right, uh, Mark, uh, Bruce has a second question. And what if the past segment had featured a previous Doctor, say, Peter Davison? That would have been very interesting, even if they got Tom Baker... It wouldn't have been fair to Colin Baker, really, saying, look, we're going to get one of your predecessors in who are much more popular than you at the time to uh, to do the first four episodes. I mean, a bit like the, the two Doctors at the first couple of minutes where you see Troughton and Jamie you go, oh, this is lovely, isn't it? And all mm. of a sudden the colour comes in. But uh, I don't think Colin Baker would have appreciated the comparison between his immediate predecessor or predecessors. Mm. I mean, it would have been great for the show. It would have definitely given it a lift in saying this is going to be a trial across the Doctors' past lives. And have a previous segment. Um, Whether they could have done it too properly, I don't know. Uh, Especially with the resolution and the revelation as well about the Valyard. Mm. Look, it would have been lovely to see, but I think from a leading man perspective, I don't think... I wouldn't have been too happy if having your immediate predecessor back so soon. Though you could argue that Baker, aware that the show is possibly on its last, you know, warning would be willing to accept, say, Pertwee or Tom Baker coming back, knowing that the uh, attention, the publicity, would be a real shot in the arm for the show. I mean, imagine... No offence to Peter Davison, but I think he was you know, too, too soon. soon. Yeah. But getting someone like Baker, you know, the, the, the doctor in, in, the, in the eyes of the public at that stage, or even John Pertwee, uh, would have been a real, uh, a real shot in the arm for the show. Um, so, I mean, I like that idea, I, and it does make I mean, again, if you're going with a trial idea, why is it Colin Baker, the sixth Doctor, in the frame? Why isn't it all the other Doctors or some of the other Doctors that you could bring along? That would that would, uh, that would would make more sense than, than what we got. Tom Baker probably wouldn't have done it unless they offered him a lot, a lot of money. Pertwee would have done it for very similar money, but he would have loved it for the publicity. And you could yeah. put the third Doctor on trial for being a monster of Peladon. <laughs> <laughs> It's certainly worth, uh, you know, being hung, drawn and quartered for that uh, six-episode romp, in inverted commas there. But uh, Pertwee in the dock, the monster appelled on guilty. I would have loved to have seen John Pertwee. I mean, it was great to see him again in The Five Doctors. 
But I would have loved to have seen him on a you know a, a three or four part story defending himself in a sense uh, alongside you know, you know the Sixth Doctor. I think it would have been really good. I think it would have been a different performance because it's a different era with a different production crew. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, the the the, the Third Doctor in in five in the Five Doctors doesn't necessarily feel like Pertwee. I mean, it might be Pertwee greatest hits version of the of the Third Doctor, but um, you know. I think it would have been really good. I think it would have been really good because he was a real ambassador for the show, and he was. you know, in a sense, it would have been. Excuse me, while I open up my second drink for the night. Um, it would have been a real shot in the arm, as I said before, for the show. Is that the uh, drink or your uh, theory? <laughs> Both. What are you drinking? Jack Daniel's uh, Tennessee oh. whiskey and cola. All right. After this last question, I'm going to get myself a glass of wine before we get into the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, the next one, Mark. Now, JB Adderton. Look, this is the big one here. Uh, hmm. What if the BBC didn't fire Colin Baker? Oh, dear. Well, then that would have presupposed that the BBC had uh, confidence in the show going forward, wouldn't it? And a plan. Yes. And a new production team, really. It was a great shame that he was made to be the scapegoat of it, as opposed to the producer. Yeah. The fish rots from the head, Mark. I don't, I don't know why Colin Baker was, you know, targeted in the way he, he, he was by the BBC. Get rid of the, the top man. He's been in the job for five years by this point, five and a half years. Get rid of him. You know, he's had his run. Uh, it's time to go. I think that if they hadn't fired Colin Baker, uh, it, as I said before, it presupposes that the the, 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 uh, the the people in charge are willing to give the show, you know, another two or three years. Uh, Paul Cornell, I've mentioned this before, I think it was in an issue of the fanzine Scaro, you know, posited a, a putative uh, two or three or four extra years for Colin Baker, and he cannibalises a lot of uh, the, the Seventh Doctor stories to do that. But I think that... We all know where Colin Baker sort of envisaged his doctor, where it, you know, it was starting and where it was sort of moving towards. I think we would have seen a, a further evolution of that. Um, you know, it, it, the, the change in the Doctor's character, the Sixth Doctor's character from season 22 to season 23, is as abrupt as the change in Capaldi's first year to his second year, isn't it? Yes. Colin is spikier than he is uh, in his first year than he is in his second year, more to do with you know Baker's performance than the writing necessarily. Whereas, I mean, the change in Capaldi's performance or Capaldi's uh, portrayal is, I think, a definite production team panicking, a decision by a panicking team thinking, oh, have we, are we alienating the audience with this? Um, but I, I think Baker would have been enabled or uh, empowered to continue on with this his evolution of the character and we probably would have ended up somewhere where we are with with uh with what big finish has done with the doctor a, a sort of a, a less confrontational character but a more you know righteous and and and, and a character interested in in, in justice less less vengeance and more justice i think even if he had stayed you would hope to god that they would have said, okay, let's get him out of the costume, try and get something out of the radio times and say, hey, look, Doctor Who is back and, you know, it looks different, even with a costume mm. change and saying, yes, we've taken on the feedback, we're tweaking this to try and sell it a bit more. But yeah. again, if the, you know, if the organisation thinks that the only way to sort of, re, you know, to reboot the show is to is to fire the actor world. Well, that, that decision is as creatively bankrupt as anything that J&T came up with, to be honest. I mean, I don't know why they weren't pushing for even more co-production money from other you know, networks uh, uh, you know, overseas. You know, where was the effort to get more money from you know, the ABC or where was there, why was there not more effort to get even more money from the American market and pour that into the show? I mean, it, it would have been, I suppose, against... I imagine it would have been against the BBC's charter in a sense or, or, or some sort of you know, bureaucratic rule that prohibited that sort of thing. But it, look, we're in the we're in the realm of what if. Uh, if if, Colin, if if the BBC isn't going to fire Colin Baker, then in this world the BBC should be out there with their cap cap in hand, uh, asking for more money because the show desperately needed more money, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's sad to say, it's sad to say because you you you, you want to, uh, well, no, you I mean you want a production to have the the creative juice and the and the financial firepower behind it to to to, to realise that. Otherwise, it is, you know, it's just people running up and down cardboard co- corridors, uh, and no one wants to see that. No, I mean Doctor Who these days has got the financial power behind it. It, it lacks the creative energy, to be honest. But in the eighties, the the funding model, unfortunately, for BBC Enterprises was that anything sold. And Doctor Who was the biggest money earner, but it went back to enterprises and the organisation. As a as an entity, as opposed to saying, "Well, Doctor Who's the biggest money spin." It's all going back to that. But here's an extra thousand pounds for you. 
an episode or something <laughs> or something ridiculous like that. It's like, really? It's a big what if, isn't it? Because there's, there's always that taint around the show, around firing actors. But I mean, if you sort of look at it, you know, Colin Baker was fired. McCoy, in a sense, was fired. Paul McGann wasn't renewed. Most of them were forced out, basically, or they got to the end of their tether. Yeah, exactly. Hartnell was forced out, allegedly, um, with his mm. Ill, Ill health. Um, Pertwee, he said, I'll stay for my money. And they said, sorry to see you go. <laughs> Tom Baker obviously kept playing the resignation card every year on the hope that they wouldn't accept it, but this time they did. It's only really Troughton who, who you know, went out on his own terms. I think it was Troughton, Davison and Tennant, I think. Because Matt Smith yeah. was supposed to stay on for Series 8. So was Capaldi, who would stay on for a bit longer as well. So, yes, it's all sort of mysteriously accidentally uh, found the exit door. It's not a very nice way to treat actors, isn't it, really? Well... What a world. You get a job as an actor. <laughs> Uh, actors actors exactly <laughs> actors yeah poor Colin you do feel sorry for him but thinking of poor Colin I mean that's right in a sense I mean at the time it would have been real I mean you know at the time it would have been a real shock and a blow to, to his ego to be treated like that I mean it was sort of his dream job and he had plans and then coupled that with a family you know tragedy you know early mm. on in his tenure I mean to be treated like that uh, even though we know you know the you know, the entertainment industry is pretty cutthroat and there's nothing permanent until it's permanent, which is never. But, you, you look, you do feel sorry for him. But um, having said that, I am reminded of a recent Tom Baker interview with, with The Guardian uh, where at the end of it, uh, the writer sort of says to, 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 to Tom Baker, are you, are, you, are you upset that, you know, your acting career is sort of dominated by, you know, being the doctor? And, and sort of Baker t- sort of turned around and said to him, well, you know, why would I be sad to have been part of you know this sort of iconic show and have an iconic role? I mean, you know, it's better to be loved than not. And in a sense, even though Baker's tenure was cut short, he will you know forever be known uh, to have played you know one of the great leading uh, great characters in British uh, fiction. I mean, there's, there's there's Sherlock Holmes, there's James Bond, and there's Doctor Who, isn't there? Um, and if you can say that you've been you know you've played uh, depicted that character in, in at least one medium. Uh, you'll never be forgotten as long as there's, you know, television and film. Here's another supposition for you. So mm. Colin Baker, he asked for the extension for the, I'll do the whole series, and they said no. Um, yep. What if Colin kept quiet and said, "Look, I am leaving to go on do a different things," and he did do the first four episodes of season twenty-four, and mm. then got McCoy in at the you know at the end of that. What do you think that would have looked like for a his career? Would he have had that, I suppose, taint? over it that sort of black cloud over his leaving Doctor Who or was it the right thing or was it the was it the wrong thing you think didn't he give an interview to the son after he was sacked yes I think it was after yes. he said I'm not going back being an emotional sort of fellow myself I'm not going to second guess someone else's choices in, a, in an emotional emotionally stressful you know time so he, he going to the son and spilling his guts uh, look, you know, from the benefit of hindsight, possibly not the best thing to have done, but I'm not going to criticise him for it. If he had stayed for those four episodes, uh, well, I mean, you know, he he would have said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to help revitalise Doctor Who. I mean, you could spin it like that. The problem with that is it still would have been time in the Rani, wouldn't it? Um, and that is, if people don't like the twin dilemma, they certainly do not like time in the Rani. Uh, and you sort of come in on a story that's regarded as being awful and you leave on a story that is regarded as being awful. Um, it's it's not great for your legacy, but uh, look, you know, I suppose if he goes out sort of on his own terms with Tom and the Rani and he doesn't do the Sun interview, it might be better for his um, career, but... Given his age, he was in his early 40s then. I mean, were there a lot of leading man roles, you know, going around? Um, it, look, it's hard to say, Mark. It's hard to say. He went did that uh, play Corpse, which wasn't about his career by then. It was and it went for a number of months. Okay. So he, obviously, he went. He got work straight after the, you know leaving Doctor Who, which was good. But it's funny you mentioned you know that he, Colin went to the Sun, but it's a say what the interview he did to Starburst seems to get the most um, reaction. I just find it quite interesting that Eric Saywood's career, what he said in that interview um, spelt the death knell for him, but Colin did something similar. But I think it might have been the sympathy. It is a hard one. I mean, I'd have to sit down and read both sets of articles uh, or interviews and sort of try and come up with something a bit more coherent than what I thought. But I, I thought, I think resigning as Saywood did and then running immediately to a genre magazine and just giving, you know, 
uh, John Nathan Turner and Ian Levine yeah. and Colin Baker both barrels. Yeah, doesn't I think amongst the fans it doesn't play as well as a man who uh, plays the leading role, did his best, got the sack, and understandably went to the media and vented his frustration with that. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll try and dig those up, Rob, and I'll uh, I'll send them to you, and uh, yeah, maybe we can. Uh... Have a chat about that. Same medium, but different approaches. Yes, exactly. With this special, we ask for our listeners to sort of give us their thoughts and views on the trial of the Time Lord and their memories of uh, watching it. So we were inundated, actually, with a lot of tweets and a lot of emails. So uh, we'll, we'll start going through some of these, Rob, in the interests of uh, time because there's some good stuff in here. Uh, we right. might start off with uh, Stephen L. Shrewsbury. He says, Mixed bag for sure. Blessed chewed the seeds and all. But overall, what a confused mix. At the time, not many in the USA knew who Bonnie was. Dang, I thought that was a joke. Didn't Robert Holmes die uh, and part of the ultimate phone uh, got redone or not revealed as he wanted? And then he finishes that off and says, I still like this screwy season more than the current series, though. Fair enough. I think Holmes had more division than Sayward, where um, the value of what's supposed to be the uh, actual future incarnation as opposed to this amalgamation thing. Yeah, I think the amalgamation thing is is a confusing concept for a lot of people. I mean, is it the Doctor? Is it not the Doctor? Is yeah. wh- What is it? I, th- I think just going... Sometimes simpler is better, uh, and going with a future incarnation is, is the way to go. A bit like the, the Fugitive Doctor and all that sort of War Doctor stuff. So really, I mean, I don't like them personally. <laughs> but I don't, I'd rather have, you know, me and the OCD and the sequential thing. But um, mm. maybe it would have been actually braver to do this is actually the future in- incarnation of Doctor. would have made more sense as yes. opposed to this Watcher-like person. Yes. And I mean, look, you know, we, um, we bemoan what the Timeless Children did to Doctor Who. But when you think about it, I mean, the production team was doing something roughly similar back in in the mid-'80s. I mean, the idea of either a future, you know, an amalgamation of his uh, worst impulses or a future Doctor, whatever the Valiard really is, I mean, it's not a world away from what Chibnall, you know, was doing with the Timeless Children or even with um, with the Ruth Doctor earlier on in the series. So there, there is there is some of that sort of groundwork being laid even, you know, decades before. Again, why would people care? As the French say, Rob, canon, lanon. <laughs> and uh, and thanks to Stephen for his uh, his tweets. Uh, just as a uh, for people who like uh, sword and sorcery, uh, heroic fantasy, Stephen uh, uh, writes quite a lot of it. Um, I've actually got one of his books, Beyond Night. So if you want to hunt Stephen down on the internet and buy some of his his work, he's uh, he's actually quite good. So uh, yeah, shout out to Stephen and thanks very much for your tweet, mate. Richard off something who podcast? Hi, Richard said uh, I'd left home. I was wondering if I'd see it at all. There was a TV where I was living and one of my housemates was also interested to watch. Obviously, that first model shot was fantastic, but I found Mysterious Planet a letdown after such a long wait. Mind Warp was a return to form, and I thought the story was interesting and held my attention right up to the shocking ending. Killing Perry off was a bit brutal, but the uh, rowing back later was worse, and Brian Blessed was a great actor once, but he'd given up by the mid-80s. Uh, Terror of the Vervoids was decent enough, but plotting, and the trial was really beginning to pull. You can almost see the realisation amongst the regulars that the material was running out and wasn't going to have a great payoff. Not a fan of Bonnie then, but Mel was okay. And he then rounds it up and says that uh, the ultimate foe was where the wheels really fell off. I wasn't aware of the backstage fiasco on first viewing, so it was mystifying to have two different stories that didn't come together or justify what had gone before. The only decent idea about the Valiard went to waste. Uh, he concludes, all in all, uh, for such an eagerly waited return, it was a disappointment. It was hard to argue with Gray's analysis of the show in 1985. Cole and Nicola were excellent. Philip Martin produced a great script. Elements of the trial worked, but it was morsels among the thin gruel. I will bring up Richard's point about uh, Brian Blessed, though. The positive about lockdown is you've had time to go back and watch TV shows and you think, oh, I'll watch that again or explore other new TV shows. I went mm. back and watched the whole I Claudius again and it was fantastic. You're just watching Brian Blessed and going, he is amazing. Was it, When he grew the beard, it just sucked the, the <laughs> acting talent out of him. Like the beard grew. It was a reverse Samson. <laughs> I love Flash Gordon. I love the film. I think he's great in it. But... Um, and it's like, what happened? <laughs> he became shouty Brian. I think it's such a shame. I find it hard to believe that I've never, uh, up until this point, actually watched I, Claudius. But um, I dug up my DVDs uh, that I bought whew, 15 years ago, even before I got married, I think, uh, and, and, and and dusted them off. And it look, 
I, I'm not as in love with it as, as everyone is. I, I find it a little bit stagey. I mean, you can tell that it's, you know, it's, 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 it's something in a studio filmed. set. It's in a studio <laughs> set. I mean, but the performance, look, you know, the performances are really good. Uh, not, excellent in turns. Um, I, I'd, I have a problem with Livia not really getting a comeuppance, but anyway, mm. that's the, that's just the history they were working with. But you're right. I think I think Flash Gordon really killed Brian Blessed as an actor, as a serious actor. Mm. Though the character that he plays in in Mind Warp, I mean, I suppose as written, he's playing it as written, and it is a bombastic, you know, crazy person, effectively. I blame the beard, really, Mark. Yes. Now that Richard has sort of given us a, a potted uh, run through of what he thinks of the the, the season, mm. rate your best to worst uh, stories within that uh, within the Trial of a Time Lord sequence. Go. Okay, I'm going to go with Vervoid's Mind Warp, Mysterious Planet, and The Ultimate Foe. Ooh. I like Mind Warp. A lot of people got uh, issues with it, and I think I talked about it in our underrated podcast a while ago. Mm. So get my thoughts on it then. But. Uh, yeah, um, that, that's how I'd run it. The, the Ultimate Foe is just an absolute mess, really. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's okay. I, look, I may need to watch it all again, but I'd, I'd go... Uh, what would I go? Vervoids? Mm-hmm. The Blu-ray edited Vervoids, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, Mind Warp. Look, it's a bit of a struggle, actually. I might go Ultimate Foe simply because of its visual appeal, especially in that first episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mind Warp. Blessed's performance really wrenches it off track every single time. He's like <laughs> Jupiter. You know, he's just everything around him just is just this great gravity well, and everything sort of gets sucked into it. He just warps everything around him, um, and then even so, I think, and then Mysterious Planet, uh, not great, not 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 the best full story for um, Robert Holmes to sign out. I mean, a lot of people got uh, issues with Mind Warp being horrible to Perry and the way she was treated in that, and I think it's is it a reflection of her time, <laughs> her old journey in the program. Probably, I don't know. Is it problematic, Rob? If you were a new series female fan, yeah, and someone you know said, "Oh, have a look at Mind Warp," and <laughs> yeah. you you got to episode four and you saw that, I can understand if you would be outraged. But I think that if you are going to be true to the vision of that particular story, where you know people's brains are being swapped around, mm. um, and the Doctor's going to fail effectively, then that's the price of failure, isn't it? And while it's <laughs> You know, these days we want strong female leads who come out on top in the end. Uh, and I can understand why a lot of people would be watching it and be completely triggered or traumatized by the fact that, you know, Perry effectively dies. Spoiler. Um, oh, no. I know. I, 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 yeah, a new series fan, I don't know that they'd be able to. I'd like to see one of those reaction videos on YouTube. Her being tied up on the rock and the doctor torturing her. Um... That seems to be par for the course, isn't it, though? I mean, the doctor yeah. effectively tries to strangle her in, in, in their first story together. And, you know, the, the Doctor hasn't been particularly pleasant to a number of companions, even in the new series, you know? I mean, and vice versa. I mean, you know, Clara is an absolute nightmare to the to, to the Capaldi Doctor early on. So, mm. uh, it, look... Clara's a nightmare full stop, isn't she, really? Yeah, look, <laughs> it's, look, it's hard, Mark. I can understand why people would complain that Perry is a peril monkey and she's treated appallingly. She's lusted over by monsters. She's tied up. She's kidnapped. She's, she's you know, mind-warped, effectively. Um, but if you're interested in watching a show that has dramatic, you know, moments, you're not going to get too much more dramatic in the show's entire run than the fact that, you know, uh, Nicola Bright puts in that storming performance right at the very end of that episode. Yeah, it's astonishing, isn't it, really? Here's a bit of a theory for you. If, um, if they were remaking Time Lash... And they put Sasha Barra Cohen in it. It'll be called the, the Borat, lusting after Perry. <laughs> stop it, Mark. Stop it. Great success. Every time I drive into the city, there's that poster of, you know, the, the, of the, the new movie with Borat wearing that mankini with the mask around his genitals. My eye is constantly drawn to his crotch mark, and I don't know what to say. I've started watching the second film. It's Look, it's not as good as the first one. but I can't stand his comedy, but as a serious actor, Sasha Baron Cohen is fantastic. He was great. What was that show he was in? The, the Israeli spy one. What was that? Yeah, called? that was that's that was brilliant. Fantastic. If you can see that, I think that's on Netflix. That is on I Netflix. Think. Yes, and um, the other one, the Trial of the Chicago Seven. Um, oh, he's in that, is he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, he is. He is electrifying. Uh, and his his the speech uh, that he's given at the very end when he's on the stand. Hmm. Um, yeah. No, that is that's it's magnificent. French air kiss. Mwah. Okay. So the next uh, next one is from uh, long term listener Brent Dickinson. Hello, Brent. Uh, Brent says, aside from feeling shortchanged by the 14-episode season, pretty underwhelmed, especially after the hiatus. 
a horrible ending for Perry, and an overall story arc that made no sense in the end. The concept of the trial was good enough, just a pity it wasn't executed better. Uh, and I think that's our overall thought, really, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, I mean, poor old Perry is executed as well. Well, at that time, and then we all found it. What a cop out. She's alive and well. And- Married to Brian Blessed? Please. And then becomes a wrestling manager. In the novelization. Yeah, bonkers. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's just, it's better to move on and just not look at that one. Uh, too closely I'm surprised Big Finish haven't <laughs> I keep saying it I'm surprised Big Finish haven't done a box set of Perry and Bicanos wrestling their way through worse history there is a um, Big Finish play yeah that touches on some of the multiple Perrys Nev Fountain did it didn't he it's really I can't remember what it's called because there's about 3 million Big Finish releases um, if we can find it we'll post it in the show notes but that is a really good one Again, it's no point recommending something that you can't remember the bloody title for. But anyway, we are moving quite along uh, quickly. We are at uh, Andrew Store 5, uh, writes, in regards to trial, I was gripped. I remember recording it uh, to VHS each week and trying to get the episode ending resuming to sync up with no credits was a skill. I even got my family to help out one Saturday I was out and couldn't do it myself. I love the cutting between the trial room and the action, the interplay between Colin and Nicola, the mystery of where Perry was, the shock of seeing, quote-unquote, bad six, and the fate of Perry, the breath of fresh air that was Mel, and the whodunit aspect of story three. I didn't consciously realise at the time it was based around A Christmas Carol. Wonderful interplay between Baker, Jason, and Bellingham. I remember thinking at the end how Mel was now travelling with six even though he'd not met her yet. They're bound to explain that next year... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, they didn't do that at all. The book did, like uh, the Ultimate Fire book. Yes. And I'm sure Big Finish has done it at some length in a box set, perhaps. you know, The teenage years of Mel Bush <laughs> before she meets the Doctor, the university years, the first time at work before meeting the Doctor. You know, that sort of thing. Andrew was just saying, recording it to VHS and trying to get the episode endings to sync up. That's what I used to do when you could only afford three-hour tape. I'd have to like try and cut out the credits, make it a TV movie version of it. Uh, I used to do that, and then I stopped doing it because it was just like, no, come on, Mark. It's, it's torture. <laughs> it is a torture, but B, it's non-canon. But uh, <laughs> I did get uh, the, the tape sent over, actually, and the pen friend I had at the time. Pirate Pete? Uh, no, it was different. I was a bit seeing other people. You slut! I was seeing other pirates. <laughs> <laughs> there she blows. They had the continuity sort of pre-amble uh, before each episode because the whole thing was so bloody convoluted. They had to do mm. like recaps of the trial so people could try and, and, and keep along with it. It was shown on a Saturday afternoon, wasn't it? In the UK it was, yeah. And over here as well. In over yeah. here, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Was it yeah. Uh, two episodes at a time they were showing on a Saturday, over? UK was uh, obviously an episode a week. Of and, course, And yeah. over here they, 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 they mashed them together. Was it ever stripped over Monday to Friday like, you know, previous years? No. There's a strange broadcast uh, history here. Because if you're going to show anything mashed together, it should have been the previous season, which was made for 45 minutes. Yeah. Ian David Scales says, One of my favourite Blu-rays... Much better than its reputation. Probably one of my most watched stories now. The breaking into the second story by the Time Lords was astonishing, smashing the distance between the framing story and the individual stories. Now, here's a great thing about uh, the box sets is you've got new audiences coming along with them with no... Um, Preconceptions. But also the, um, oh, good air quotes again, baggage uh, about the whole thing. So they're watching it and they do think it's, it's great and parts of it are great. So hmm. if you're really enjoying it on Blu-ray, good on you. Well done. So we've got uh, Charlie Richard on Twitter. Uh, a few posts here, so let's just rip right through them. New version of the theme tune felt like a pointless change. Didn't go with the punchy title sequence. I really, really miss the Peter Howell version. Love the amazing opening of the space station. I think everyone does, to be honest, Charlie. I mean, it's 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 one of those, you know, again, it's one of those moments that as a fan back then, you, you won't forget. Uh, that was super cool, he says. But was hugely disappointed to see the Doctor still in his clown costume. Yes, tick that one. Tick that box they clearly not learnt uh, their lesson nice to see Perry and the Doctor getting on better wit and banter is always so much better than bickering as for the rest of the first story I found it to be visually dreadful apart from the <laughs> trial room costumes lighting and set design were appalling story felt very weak too some dreadful cliffhangers also the concept of Ravelox being Earth was brilliant but the actual story was dreadfully weak for a season opener was uh, Mark was Robert Holmes lumbered with a number of elements that he had to sort of shove in or was this wholly his own creation I can't remember I think the two doctors, he had a lot of stuff he had to shove in. This is pretty much his own creation. 
you know, the, the umbrella thing with, with Eric Sayward. Ali continues by saying that Mind Warp should have been the season opener, in my opinion. They're, you know what? That's actually quite good, I think. <laughs> you have the final episode with Perry dying. Uh, that'll bring in the viewers for the second story. Uh, Vervoids was okay. Cheesy set design let the ship down. And the Vervoids with Scouse accents were a distraction. Not having an introduction story for Mel was confusing and discombobulating for viewers. I don't think it was the Scouse accents that were a distraction with regards to the Vervoids design, perhaps. But anyway, we move on. Ultimate Foe was magnificent. Great fun, and the twist of the Valiard being the Doctor was so shocking at the time. The episodes were only let down by some very weak visual and special effects. I was pleased that Perry wasn't dead. That was a manipulation by the Valiard. I just didn't believe she would ever marry Blind Blessed. Perry should have returned home to Earth and her memory wiped like Jamie and Zoe. I'd have accepted that much more readily. Charles concludes by saying, Overall, I really enjoyed Trial. It felt satisfying and had a sense of scale and ambition in the storytelling. I actually think if they'd done more work on Colin, changed his costume, and tried to make the story more visually credible, Colin would not have been scapegoated. Some good thoughts there. Actually, some very good points. I like the one about Perry being returned home. I mean, it wiped their memory like they did in the war games. I think that would be a lot better. Yeah, I mean, still have her death sort of lingering over the series, and then you can, you know, the, the, as, a, as compensation to the Doctor, they, they, they save her at the last moment. He makes a good point about the theme tune. You're my go-to music man, Mark. Tell me what you think about the theme tune for this series. It's a bit lightweight, but uh, they've redone the mix on, on, on the DVDs, and it does sound a lot better. Okay. In terms of the incidental music for that season, I mean, the Dominic Glenn stuff's really, really good. And also the, the guy who did Mind Warp, Richard something. They lost the master tapes for the 5.1 uh, remix, so they've had, had to get the uh, composer to redo them again. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, so they've had to redo them from scratch because the music for Mind Warp is, is sensational. They, they lost the tapes, and that's why they've had to go back for the 5.1 to, to get them re-recorded, as it were. Mm. Malcolm Clark's Vervoid's not great, um, but the Dominic Glenn stuff is really very impressive, I think. Uh, in terms of what he's done for the Mysterious Planet and the, the Ultimate Foe. If you're going to change the theme song, change the title sequence at the same time. It just You're just so used to seeing the, the opening sequence with the Howl theme, it just doesn't work. Yeah, no, it doesn't fit, does it? Although, I wouldn't mind the Peter Howell version over the Kef McCulloch version. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, yes. That would have been certainly an improvement. He lives in Queensland, apparently, Kef McCulloch. And he should stay there, so yes. <laughs> Is the borders open to you? Uh, I don't think they have, actually, Mark. So. No. A lot of Victorians are moving up there at the moment. So, so they say. It's a lot of crap, mate. No, it's true. Is it? It's true. I know I know two or three people are moving at, at, as we speak. If they're going to turn their back on this great state of Victoria for the, the, the dubious... Uh, pleasures of uh, of Queensland. Well, you know they deserve what they get, which probably includes a cyclone. So all the best. <laughs> I'll pass on your best wishes, Rob. When, uh, when I see them next week. So any more messages of hope you want to send out while we're here, Rob? <laughs> no. You've got mail. And now we move on to our email section of our reminiscence about the trial of a time lord. Uh, we have one Rob Irwin. Look, admittedly, he's from Sydney, but he's a good egg. <laughs> <laughs> As a kid of 11 years of age, I ate this up. I think partly because I was just happy to have new Doctor Who on TV, and at that age, I just didn't care about the backroom dealings at the BBC. I also didn't really think about the alternate stories, Nightmare Fair, Mission to Magnus, etc., and whether they would have been better, or indeed, that they could have changed Colin's costume during the hiatus. All things that are my go-to topics to discuss today when the season is mentioned. One of the most overused words, Mark, in Doctor Who history in the 80s is the word hiatus. It was all over TWB back then. Oh dear. Anyway, moving on. Or changing Colin's costume. <laughs> uh, Rob continues uh, by saying, but of course Doctor Who was much more than just an 11-year-old's fantasy. And the adults at the BBC of the time, looking at the show with adult eyes, the same eyes I look at it now, could pick holes in it six ways from Sunday. So it's a game of two halves here, but who is right? The intended audience for the show, my 11-year-old self, or the people who were making it. I tend to feel people like Michael Grade weren't really looking at it with kids' eyes. That's a problem. And I still can't make head nor tail how J&T could have been put on hiatus and not had a wake-up call to get serious. The way the scripts were in disarray, even with the extra time on their hands, astounds me. They should have been done and dusted months earlier than they were. At the end of the day, however, I saw this as a kid, so I can't smash it. I get what it's trying to be. I get what it's trying to do. I know Colin's loving being the Doctor. Mel is actually a really good companion on the Vervoids. But objectively, but objectively, it's up there with season 24 as the Nadir of 80s Who. Thank you very much, Rob. 
It, look, it is hard, isn't it, Mark? I mean, when you're a child, when you're, you know, I mean, I would have been uh, a little bit older than um, than Rob at this point. 27? <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely looking at it with yeah. uh, different eyes. I mean, I... The sh- I, you could look as you get older. You 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 look at things differently, and I, I could sense at that time that the series was different to the show that I grew up with back in the late seventies. Um, but I mean, I when I when I saw you know Trial of a Timeline on those Saturday afternoons, I had no knowledge of the problems in the production, and I didn't have any particular quibble, quibbles about the you know the production values or anything like that. I mean, it was Doctor Who, um, so you know. Looking as Rob sort of argues, looking at it, you know, as a, as a child, there's there's not much that's really wrong with it. It is, it's reasonably paced. It's 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 entertaining. Something's always happening on screen. Um, it's only when you become a cynical, jaded, bitter, you know, late forties individual, you pluck the eyes out of it and you stamp on the them on the ground. Is it entertaining? Yeah, it is entertaining. But is it the Doctor Who that I really liked at the time? No, you could tell something was off. Something wasn't quite right about it. But Mark, is that because you you know you would have been going to movie, you would have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you would have you know again we mentioned Star Wars, you would have seen you know stuff on television that was you know American stuff on television that in budget wise head and shoulders above Doctor Who. Is that simply not because there's something off with Doctor Who? Is it you you've 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 been exposed to a wider variety of tele fantasy at the cinema and on the television? That you know made you realise that you could do more things than what Doctor Who was doing. Yes, I think the scope of Doctor Who had narrowed substantially, especially around the whole continuity and things like that. So I think in terms of the scope of the compared to the adventures that we had, you know, say five or six or seven years ago, the scope and the breadth are there compared to what it was, you know, in JNT's mid '80s stuff. In terms of the the stories and what they're doing, yes, they're entertaining, but. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a, it's a tough one. I think also I'm I was reading DWB at the time as well. But every time I watch it, it's that bloody coat. It does sort of visually knock you in the face and does distract you a bit. Who's our next uh, emailer? We got an email from uh, Jed Sweeney down at, in the Cattery. Now, can I mention that Richmond won the grand final, Rob? Um, some regional club who I did think played very well for the first. Uh, two quarters but um maybe the uh and i use the word entertainment loosely <laughs> that was offered by the afl and queensland uh, maybe put them off their game but it was certainly a very good game and i think actually uh when we, we had a zoom call it was me you dave kitchen richard and mark on, on the call and we should have charged for that zoom call to be honest because there was some really <laughs> inappropriate stuff on that watching uh. that uh, yeah, we had a couple of drinks that night. It was very good fun. <laughs> yes. That would have been the closest to 42 to Doomsday After Dark, I think, that uh, that Zoom call. I think so. Sky News would have loved to have us on, definitely. Yes, the Sky, right. Jed Sweeney says, well, this takes me back. 1986, second year at University in Manchester. I started in October, so I managed to catch the first four episodes at home in glorious Technicolor. I'll be honest, I was blown away by the opening sequence, but soon got irritated by the petulant attitude to the trial by the Sixth Doctor displayed. In fact, the schoolyard insults of the boatyard, scrapyard, and knackies yard grew very worrisome very quickly. But on the whole, I quite like the mysterious planet. Not great, but plenty to like. Mind warp. I never bought into the hype that Philip Martin was one of the great writers, and I think I would blame the way his two stories were directed. I remember on the day of the first episode, uh, me and my uni housemates had to go and watch Man City play Leicester City. Leicester won uh, 2-1, and we rushed home to watch the program on my 12-inch black and white portable telly. I was looking forward to Brian Blessed in the show, but was disappointed with the uh, clicks and whistles he seemed to have improvised into his uh, dialogue. Again, some hammy dialogue for the Doctor's annoying, the skedaddle technique, I'm always looking at you, matey. So on to the Christmas future part. Much as I derived uh, P&J Baker for what I saw at the time as a sycophant to J&T, Terror of the Vervoids was enjoyable romp. One of my memories was thinking at a time that they should have edited the ending of, of episode 3, I think, where Bruncha stands up to view the oncoming black hole instead of what we got, another crash zoom into the Doctor's face. The theme music didn't help either. Yeah, crash zooming every end of episode was so boring. Yeah, it's creatively weak, isn't it? I wouldn't even use the word creative. Oh, I just pushed the lever and crash into his face, I mean, the poor guy. Finally, episodes 13 and 14, JNT gets his record for producing the longest story, la-dee-da. And Ainley Master gets some dialogue written for him by Robert Holmes, fantastically delivered. I thought he was really well written for that episode. For episode 14, I was up in Blackpool at the National Union of Students Conference, Red Jed, that's me, where one uni had sent a red Dalek as one of their delegates, complete with ring modulation 
modulated voice. That might have been Nick Briggs, I don't know. Anyway, Saturday evening, I ducked out the conference back to the hotel room to watch the last episode. Given the circumstances and it was made, it's probably as good as they could have done. Uh, I do have issue with uh, Perry getting married to Yukanos, and I'd rather they hadn't tried to tie up that apparent loose end. Keep punching and carter catters from Jed. P.S. Forgot to add that I was well knocked off at the end of Terror of the Vervoids. Genocide didn't anybody remember the mission of Time Lords Gave the Doctor in Genesis of the Daleks? Well, that's a fair point, actually. See, if they got Tom back in for the first four episodes, they could have said, now we're putting you on trial for Genesis of the Daleks. Well, there you go. And they could have got Elizabeth Sladen in as well. You've hit onto a winner. What could have been, Mark? What could have been? So the next one is one David Kitchen. Dave says, I must have been six or seven when this was broadcast in Australia, and my main memory is one of confusion. I understood that these were stories that from the Doctor's past, which had been changed by the Valiard, but assumed these were actual stories from the past, and therefore Mind Warp was a distorted retelling of Vengeance on Varos. <laughs> That's actually quite clever, I like that. That's not bad, actually, yeah. Uh, naturally, this didn't make a lot of sense to me. The Ultimate Foe also didn't engage me as a kid or make any sense. I do have fond memories of terror of the Vervoids, though. This was a good Doctor Who adventure with a scary monster. The image of Dolan trying to shake a Vervoid's hand only to get a thorn put in it was one that lived in, on in my mind's eye. So as a kid, a real step down from season 22, which for all its faults had plenty of fun stories on alien worlds with scary monsters, which sounds like Doctor Who, doesn't it? Uh, my other key memories are the excitement of my parents buying me the TARDIS tin in the anniversary year and the day at the local club meeting in 1994 where we played the whole story for the members, most of whom had never seen it or only seen it once nearly a decade ago and overall thought it better than its reputation. I think it's better than its, uh, its reputation. It's not awful. It's not, it's not terrible. It's not season 24. No, no, that, that's bad. I put the TARDIS tin, had Colin Bake on the bottom, of course, but uh, I did know somebody who bought every one of those tins. Jesus. Yeah, and had them all lined up on his bookcase, so yeah, he bought seven copies of it. I did buy it, I did that, I specifically hunted through the box uh, at the shop, um, CVG, I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, it was in um, Burke Street. In was, Burke Street, yeah, yeah. let's yeah. dice reminisce about a show that no, a shop that no longer exists. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely got the one with the Colin, and I sold it earlier this year, actually. Um, I thought, I don't need this anymore, and I got rid of, the, rid of it and the tapes, and I was very happy to do so. It was very good to have purchased it as a box set back then, and I certainly watched the videotapes, definitely. Can I ask how much you uh, uh, sold it for? 20 bucks, I think. Oh, look, not a lot. That's not too bad, actually. For VHS, yeah. For, you know, for a medium that virtually no one can play anymore, it's not too no, bad. No, it looked like bloody grave if you try playing that in a high definition television. It looked to be <laughs> terrible, but happy times and places. The VHSs and they got the Daleks one as well. God, no wonder how people's houses, massive bows in the cupboards, yes. putting all those VHS tapes on the bloody shelf. But uh, anyway, our last email is from uh, Jonathan Moll from the UK. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, he says, Hi, I thought he'd give you some thoughts on uh, a trial. I was 11 when it was shown. I love Doctor Who and I always look forward to a new season. I was stunned by the opening effect. Are you getting a sense a lot of people were stunned by the opening effect? Yes. After the hiatus, it was clear who was going through hard times. It was easy to forget how big a deal the hiatus was in the UK. It even made the 6 o'clock news. So to see it back on the screen after 18 months looking so impressive was exciting and then the story proper started. Well, even at that age I find the type of characterization the first story a bit silly. The mother of the Oxo family presiding over the court and telling the doctor off didn't help get me involved. I know this was stunt casting at the time, but I just saw it as annoying because the Oxo gravy ads were a big thing in the UK at the time and Linda Bellingham was really a well-known face. I watched it though because I loved the show. It had been there since I was four, but I wouldn't have watched it otherwise. No did school seemed to watch it either. It was an escape from a downtrodden English town I'd come from, but not to this. Then came the second story, The Brian of Brian Blessedness. Again, I was feeling underwhelmed. Maybe it was my age, with nothing relatable in the characters and the Doctor Cameras cross as petulant and argumentative. Perhaps this is partly the Matrix lying up, but mm, his actual personality didn't seem all that different to the previous season. Again, it was silly characters in a cheap setting and it just felt like it should have been a TV's children's show shown some weekday slot after 5 o'clock. I love Vervoids though. The best who to me is the Troughton base under siege type story. Characters trapped and a killer on the loose. Uh, I was also a very big Avengers fan, so seeing Hannah Blackman was great as well. However, Mel was annoying. I wasn't overly impressed with his hyper goody goody type. I never liked Perry's whining character, so not a good run of assistance for me. The final two episodes were just odd, although I love the night film parts, rare for the BBC to do so. Um, so they stood out but again I, underwhelming looking back now there's more to enjoy that, than I saw as a child but the whole season seems to have been a misstep Colin Baker's doctor wasn't well established enough to have a whole season where the Matrix implies that he was callous 
the court scenes just interrupt the story and actually the character of the Valyard uh, seemed to be more interesting and likeable than the Doctor. The Perry reprieve seemed very odd as well. It was clearly tacked on. I still like the Vervoid story though. Everything else that makes WH Smith complain can't be bad. Love the podcast. Glad to see it back, Jonathan. Uh, that's right, because they put the Vervoids on the uh, front cover of DWM and uh, uh, WH Smith got a bit upset. It should have been in probably a different section of, of the magazine stand. Let's put it that way. <laughs> all right, so that's all our emails covering uh, this particular topic. So thank you to everyone who tweeted and thank you to everyone who emailed us. Uh, we really do appreciate your thoughts and uh, uh, hopefully you come back to us uh, again when we have a similar topic uh, next time now for our next episode rob what are we doing what are we doing mark well it's our annual christmas party <gasps> rob gasp lockdown is lifted so dave richard i and uh, yourself we can all meet in the same place well mainly dave's house masks on i imagine not the gimp variety We've got a couple of topics uh, lined up and of course a christmas special wouldn't be the same without any fan wank of the year awards would they Rob? no so please send in your nominations for the most egregiously wrong thing done to doctor who or in doctor who fandom for 2020 I'm sure there are plenty of uh, of uh, choices, and uh, we will read them out to our adoring uh, listeners. I have a feeling I know what the winner is already. <laughs> <laughs> and for once, it's not going to be Big Finish. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not prejudge what our loyal listeners have to say, Mark. No, but I'm just prejudging my entry. <laughs> Oh, very good. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next month. So uh, I've been Mark. And I'm always Rob, and speak to you soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.